Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Well, we're in for a real treat today because we have a one-hour special of our political coverage of the local election for village president in South Orange, New Jersey. I'm so pleased to have back in our studio uh, Ms. Sheena Collum, who is currently the village trustee running for village president, and her opponent, Ms. Emily Hines, who has left a brilliant law career to come to South Orange to run for village president. So we're going to have a spirited di- discussion this morning uh, that we're going to cover six topics. And those topics are public safety, small business growth, financial management and budget, which actually has two subtopics, shared services and the Board of Education. We're going to talk about the Village Hall, the issues around whether we should sell it or maintain it. We're going to talk about citizen engagement. And last but not least, my favorite topic, relations between South Orange, New Jersey and Seton Hall University. Sheena and Emily, welcome to the program. Thank you. So uh, we flipped the coin, and uh, Miss Emily Hines is going to go first. And our first topic is public safety. Good morning, Darrell. Uh, good morning, Sheena. Thank you so much for having me here. I appreciate it. A warm welcome to all of Seton Hall University. Um, I, I appreciate you hosting today. Uh, public safety. So this is a, an important issue here in our town. And the first thing I want to say is thank you to Chief Shalell and our South Orange Police Department. I had a chance to sit down with Chief Shalell and talk with him about public safety. And uh, as he told me, crime is actually going down in South Orange. I laud our police department and their efforts to ensure the safety and security of our community. I see that they've got their Coffee with a Cop program, which is truly wonderful, reaching out into the community to ensure that they address the needs of each community member. My own daughter recently got a citation for good behavior, she got a gift certificate to Coldstone Creamery because she was out one day and a police officer stopped her to remind her she was wearing her helmet while bike riding. She was absolutely thrilled about that. I think those kinds of programs are wonderful and they help to create a sense of community and a sense of communication with our police force and we need that. With that in mind, safety and security are issues that we can always do better on. Um, I see a couple of key areas where we can make sure that people feel safer in our community. First, with better lighting. Um, We look at lighting as an issue for crimes of opportunity um, and feelings of security, whether or not people are safer, they feel safer. And it makes sure that if someone is is going to not feel safe here because they think it's too dark, they're going to go to another train station, to Maplewood or to Milburn. And we want to make sure that people feel safe here in South Orange, that they come into our village, that they shop in our stores and dine in our restaurants in the evenings. Um, And with that, we need more adequate lighting. Um, We do have our beautiful gas lights. We love those gas lights. They're great. But they are not high, um, high, high density lighting. And what we need to do is ensure that in the areas that are darkest, those walkways to remote parking places, for example, that we have better lighting. It makes people feel safer, and it it creates um, a deterrent to crime. The other thing is installing cameras in our commercial areas. 
Having those cameras there deters any kind of a crime. It also creates a record when something does occur that enables prosecutors to find the perpetrators. And we want to have those tools available to our police force. Um, with cameras, I know that there are privacy concerns, and we do want to reassure people that we won't save that material for very long periods of time, that we save them for the purpose of those prosecutions and investigations, but that we're not saving archival material, that we put in place safeguards for that, um, but that installation of cameras does act as a deterrent. The other issue we have is homelessness at our train station. Now, I know that with respect to that, we had a brutal winter, and we had a number of people seeking shelter at that train station. We have to create a humane solution to a problem. Homeless people can both be the perpetrator of a crime, but are much more likely to be the victim of a crime. And we need to make sure that we are protecting those people by working with private organizations like the Elizabeth Coalition or Habitat for Humanity, um, veterans groups, to ensure that we are finding these people an appropriate place to go, especially during a brutal winter. In addition, we need to bring New Jersey Transit to the table. They are responsible for their facilities, and we need to ensure that they are living up to their, um, their responsibilities for the train station and their, the, the areas for which they have responsibility. Um, bring them to the table and ensure that they understand that this is about their bottom line. This is about finance. The more people that come through that train station, the better off they are. And we want to make sure that they understand and that it is in their financial interest to ensure an increased ridership along the Morrison-Essex <coughs> line and ensure the safety and security of our community. That's very good. Okay, Ms. Collum, public safety, what are your views? Okay, I'll first start off by saying that prior to being elected to the Board of Trustees in 2013, I founded the Citizens Public Safety Committee um, and served in that role for about three years because I thought it was very important for residents to be involved um, with public safety issues. And so once elected, um, it was a privilege to serve with all of our various public safety departments and groups that support and enhance public safety for the village. I think that it's important for people to understand data. As Ms. Hines alluded to, crime has been decreasing in South Orange for about four years now. We've seen a 40% drop in four years. Um, in the past year alone, we've seen a 24% drop in part one crime. Um, moving forward, there's a few things that we need to do, and this is directly from my platform. First, we need to complete the replacement of all public safety radios moving to a statewide network, which is our P25 system that will save money on infrastructure while increasing interoperability between internal and external agencies and overall performance. <coughs> we need to build and expand a village-wide wireless network, improving technology capabilities to prevent and solve crime. Next, we need to focus on quality of life enforcement, traffic safety, and community policing through the new special operations division recently created by the village. Next, we need to leverage the village's neighborhood watch program to keep residents informed and make crime reporting easier and crime data more accessible. We also need to strengthen our Office of Emergency Management by training and recruiting more volunteers for our community emergency response team and launching Register Ready uh, to identify elderly and special needs residents when in a state of emergency and also the expansion of community relations within the police department, um, such as the programs like Coffee with a Cop and Positive Behavior Citations, both of which um, I was involved in creating with our Community Relations Bureau. Um, 
I'm very proud of our police department. I think that they have done an incredible job. And much like many other municipalities, we haven't been able to invest um, in more headcounts. So we've had to do more with less and be a little bit more efficient. One of the first things that happened when I was elected to the board was I went and met with the officers. And they told me that we had a lot of down zones throughout the community um, with their communications and their dispatch. I took this very seriously because it puts our officers at risk. Um, it, it certainly puts the public at risk if they can't communicate with one another. And so the first item that I talked about was the public safety radios. Um, we put out an RFP. We brought in experts to actually look at our coverage map. And what we learned was what they were telling us was accurate. Um, so in terms of a capital budget expense that's going to be coming up for police, fire, and rescue, it's going to be the replacement of all their equipment. Um, we have submitted for an AFG grant, assistance to firefighters grant, um, in the amount of $700,000, but all in this is going to be a proposal that's going to cost close to a, over a million. Um, to Ms. Hines' point about lighting, I couldn't agree more. Um, I had a resident come to a public safety committee meeting and say that, you know, so many gas lights were out, and who did we need to hire or bring in to document all the gas lights? And from that, I organized about 50 volunteers who went out in one night and um, with the smartphone application SO Connect documented all the outages, um, and then we submitted them to PSENG. Because lighting is a very expensive proposition, I think it's important for individual homeowners to leave their lights on at night. Um, and also, uh, through a new matching grant program that we have for the business district, each of the businesses will be able to take advantage of a match to improve the lightings on their facades in our business corridor. Well, very good. I would love to do some follow-up questions on public safety, but um, this time is going to fly by. So we're going to move on to our next topic. So, uh, Ms. Collum, uh, small business growth, what is your very, very specific viewpoint on how we can have small business growth? And then we'll hear from Mrs. Hines. Thank you. Well, the first thing that I think is really important is to look at what role the municipality actually plays, um, and that's with our codes and ordinances. Uh, last time I was on the program, I spoke specifically uh, to launching a task force of stakeholders who are involved with looking at all of our policies from the municipality standpoint and what we can do better to support the small business community. I think one of the great successes that we've had was the creation of a special improvement district. I wasn't on the Board of Trustees at the time, but I think we've seen tremendous success from the South Orange Village Center Alliance. And one of the initiatives that I did create was the Seton Village Committee, um, formerly the Irvington Avenue Corridor Advisory Committee, by actually having business owners and property owners participate with the municipality in identifying goals, strategies, policies, incentives, etc. Um, it, it only helps enhance our overall uh, business community experience and, and what we want to see for our business corridors. Um, next is something that I'm very proud of is a Great Streets Matching Grant Program. I think for a lot of our small businesses, they have so much on their to-do list that um, some of them don't have experience in the marketing and the advertising and how they want to present themselves to the public. Um, we're looking at creating a design review board to provide technical assistance to the small businesses on their facades um, and, and how to enhance their overall marketing strategies in, in attracting customers. Um, and I think overall, the, the way that retail and shops 
the world is changing, and so we have to be very innovative in how we're using our spaces in all of our commercial corridors. And if you remember the success of the pop-up shop that happened, the 360 or 350, rather, um, one from New Jersey that came into our downtown, it was really ama amazing to see a space transformed into multiple uses um, for people who were selling jewelry or art. And I think that um, co-working spaces, cooperative, you know, retail spaces in our downtown um, would really enhance um, some of the things that are the buildings that are vacant right now. Um, between all of those and also an aggressive approach to business recruitment, um, which is really, really important. I've been saying in my meet and greets with folks that um, the Village Center did a study that showed that we have uh, $180 million retail leakage occurring in our community, which is based on you know our households, our average incomes, what we spend, and what's currently available in all of our business corridors. And I don't think it's enough to say you know we, we hope something comes in that we want. I think we have to aggressively pursue it um, by directing financial resources, personnel resources, into going after things that people really want to see, which is um, primarily food. People like their food, um, gifts and boutique stores, um, crafts, hardware, home improvement, and we now have the data available to be able to aggressively approach these types of offerings to bring them into our town and also um, dissuade people from trying to open something that we know wouldn't be supported by our direct community. Very good. Uh, Mrs. Hines? All right. So I think that something that we need to focus here on is that I went out and spoke with business owners, people who have recently opened businesses in our town, and the very first thing that they have all said to me was that it isn't transparent. They wanted to come here, they picked other places to go, or they struggled to open their business here in South Orange because the process is not transparent. Step one, we need a roadmap. We need a spreadsheet that shows you exactly what it takes to open a business. If there are 27 steps that a particular type of business has to go through, and certainly we're not going to treat a restaurant and a boutique the same way, we have health and safety codes for a reason. Everyone has to follow the rules, but they need to know exactly what those rules are from the very beginning. Entrepreneurs have a bottom line they have to meet. They have loans they have to get. They have finances. They have projections they have to make. And they need to know if they can open on St. Patrick's Day or if it's going to take another six months and they're not opening until the 4th of July because those are important line items. We need to get out of the way of good business people here. We need to not overregulate, and we need to ensure that we have a clear, transparent roadmap to opening a business here, that we welcome those people. The harder we make it, the more often they're going to open their store in Montclair or Maplewood instead. We have empty storefronts here. We have new retail space coming in. Let's welcome those entrepreneurs. We have smart, savvy business people in our town, and they want to open their stores here. Let's let them. Let's get out of the way of good business people. The other issue I think that we have is that we need to make sure that we have a place for those customers to park. We have traffic and a parking crisis from 4 to 7 in our town each day. And without the ability to come here with ease and find reliable parking, people are going to take their business elsewhere. Certainly, people who live in the community within a walking distance may very well stay. Frankly, we need to ensure that we have created a destination here in South Orange. Are we pulling in people from Livingston and West Orange and Maplewood and Montclair to come to our boutiques and restaurants? And they can't do that if they don't have a place to park. The parking here is extremely inconsistent. It's tough to find a spot, but when you do, is it a 30-minute spot? Is it a one-hour spot? Is it a three-hour spot? Your quarter doesn't equal the same thing across the board. Having 
a, a, a confusing system, having a, a really tough time, isn't going to welcome people here. Those customers can't shop here if they can't park here. We also have a traffic problem. At From 4 to 7, we have huge numbers of cars coming through a bottleneck in our town. We need a traffic study. We need to find a way to better handle the infrastructure that we have with the increasing numbers of cars. Those numbers of cars are not going down. We have 215 units going in at 3rd and Valley right now. Those people will have cars. They will commute to their jobs. Maybe not all of them. They're going to be in this transit hub. We are a transit community. Some of them will walk to that train station, and that's great. But we can't count on the fact that all of them will. Many of them are going to have jobs in our community or in the surrounding parts of the state. And we need to ensure that we handle those traffic issues, that increasing traffic problem. Because if you can't drive into our town, you can't go to restaurants here. You can't eat here. Uh, you raised some interesting points, and I think it would be very helpful if we had a little back and forth on this particular topic. Sheena, in regards to the roadmap to opening a, a business, um, from your standpoint, being that you're a village trustee, what has the village done to um, provide that roadmap, or is there a roadmap for, for these small businesses? Now, as I mentioned, um, shortly after being elected, I announced this task force, and so what Ms. Hines is referencing is currently being done. We're meeting regularly um, after we're finished doing the full scrubbing of the codes. Um, our goal is to create something similar to what Montclair has, which is opening a business in South Orange, which provides the checklists, which provides a very clear understanding of the rules and regulations, um, the existing uses, the parking requirements for specific businesses, and literally we're looking at a document that's about 10 to 15 pages long, um, rather than having somebody have to go to our village website and have to scrub you know, through pages and pages of what they can't and can't do. I think through the investment of a special improvement district, we have somebody at the helm right now um, who understands customer service. And very shortly after he came in, he got on board with recognizing that it is a very challenging um, environment for people to navigate. And it's by being a part of this process with um, small businesses, with the property owners, um, and with elected officials, um, and people want, who want to support the business environment, um, we're moving through that process right now. We're meeting regularly, and we hope that that will be the product of our work within the next few months. Okay. Emily, any response? I do want to mention that we have the SID, we have the SOVCA, we have organizations in place that have been doing this for a long time. We don't need additional committees. What we need is to zero in on the fact that these are entrepreneurs, and they know what they're doing. They are smart people, and we need to let them get their job done. Um, I have a question for, for, for both of you in regards to small business. It just hit me. Um, have we thought about uh, working with Rutgers or Seton Hall in regards to their entrepreneur programs to, to talk about how we can encourage entrepreneurs to uh, come to South Orange? Sheena, I'll let you go first. I was actually going to touch on that a little bit um, when we got to the partnership with Seton Hall University. And the answer is yes. Um, leveraging the university is really important for our commercial corridors. And I have a very specific example. When I started the Irvington Avenue Corridor Advisory Committee, the first stop that I made was the Stillman School of Business and meeting with the dean there. And she directed me to the Market Research Center, which has been very successful. Um, and we leveraged their resources on campus to provide student learning experience and also at the same time get value for um, the community from all their uh, 
their wealth of knowledge, really passionate students. And so the partnership between us and Seton Hall is incredibly important. Secondly, and I've found these models from, I believe it's University of Washington, where they allow their uh, school of business to start, open, and operate spaces throughout the community. Um, based on market research, based on the preferences of, of the spending uh, power of the community, and to be able to forge a partnership between us and them where they are actually operating these various businesses, maybe even one or two, um, as a student learning experience, but also um, giving them a much greater presence in our commercial corridors. And I think we need an anchor from the university as well, in whether it's Irvington Avenue, Valley Street, or South Orange Avenue, and preferably that would be their bookstore. Um, to actually have a large presence of Seton Hall in the community. So I think there's a lot of opportunities between us, Seton Hall, and the research that they do to benefit our businesses. And Emily, your thoughts on university involvement? Because we also have Rutgers. Uh, I'm affiliated with Rutgers as well mm -hmm. as I went through their Entrepreneurs Pioneers Initiative program. And with the empty spaces that we have, it seems like we could get some of these new entrepreneurs in those empty spaces. I agree. I think if there are entrepreneurs that want to come here, we welcome them here. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That I have never seen a community more distanced from its university, the university that makes its home here, than between South Orange and Seton Hall. And I think we need to reach across and build that bridge to create a sense of community for the students and the faculty here at Seton Hall and ensure that they have a place in our village. Likewise, we need the community and the stakeholders within the community to feel comfortable with the presence of Seton Hall. And as part of that, welcoming entrepreneurs, welcoming the business people that we have as part of Seton Hall into our community is a great thing. By the same token, I think it's important not to put all your eggs in one basket. Um, students tend to come here for a short period of time and move on. And the proximity that we have to major metropolitan areas tends to be a bigger pull to that student body. Certainly having a small village feel, we have a diverse community here, and not just racially diverse, but also we have an incredible aging community here in our village. And we need to make sure that we are supporting businesses that support each of those parts of our community. Can we zero in on professional offices to help support our aging community who need medical services? We have corridors in our area where we forbid the, the opening of professional services, and yet we have empty storefronts. So what about taking a look at rolling back that overregulation and ensuring that we have fewer empty storefronts and businesses that can provide important services to our aging community, like medical facilities, uh, legal services. Those are people that create jobs in our community, and those jobs are local. Job creators support and fund our, our tax base. We need those kinds of businesses here as well. Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I am Darrell Country, your host for Leadership. We are here with our election one-hour special. I want to thank Brother Greg Cellini, whose show, Thank God for Monday, is preempted this week. He will return next week. We are here with uh, Village Trustee Sheena Collum, who is running for Village President. We're here with also with Mrs. Hines, who Miss Emily Hines, who is running uh, for Village President as well. Our next topic is going to be on financial management and budget. And as I indicated at the top of the program, we have two subtopics, shared services and the Board of Education. And I really 
want to make sure that um, we do not commingle those uh, and we deal with those separately so that folks can hear our, our, our respective candidates' views on those topics. So if I, if, if I remember our, our coin flip, Sheena, you went last, so now, Emily, it's your turn to go first in regards to financial management and budget. What is your platform on financial management and budget? I think that it is important to note that our debt in South Orange has been going down. Um, our village administrator and our current board of trustees are working hard. And look, at the end of the day, I know that many people here like my opponent, Sheena, and that's great. She does have two more years left on her term. Um, and ultimately, we have to work together on solving what is a huge issue for us in this town. Um, financial management and budget is a massive topic, but I would say we look at our assets. There are two kinds of assets we have in this town. We have concrete assets, that includes our tax base, our business district, and private investment, and we have intangible assets, our cultural and historic assets, the skilled volunteers we have in our community. And we need to bring both of those types of assets together so that we can support the financial health of our community. Um, with that in mind, I, I know that it is very hard for people in our community to get access to financial projections here. We have that budget tool online, and I have to say that I think it's the 2014 budget that I accessed without having to do an open records request. And it is our 2012 debt statement that I was able to access. It might have been 2013 online as tools. We don't have projections out there. We need public projections and transparency in this process. We have brilliant minds in our community, and they want to be a part of this process. They want to be a part of the process of creating financial stability here in our community. We have to let them. Um, but with that in mind, you know, we have a huge debt. Uh, the document I looked at said $52 million, and that's a big number. Um, we need to ensure that the costs we have in our town, as they compare to those line items um, on assets, that those come out to a better balance. Um, if it costs $33 million to run the town and we don't have that as our assets, then we're going to be more in debt. We need to make sure that we spend very carefully. And with that in mind, we have to look at some of those line items. You know, we know that the Board of Education has their budget. They recently released it, $123 million. That exceeds the 2% cap. Um, what is it that we can do to alleviate the financial burden that that places on our homeowners. How can we better share in services with the Board of Ed? So for example, we look at after school programs. We have YouthNet on our budget line item and they have the YMCA on theirs. Can we share, can we reduce both of those line items by ensuring that we have community engagement? We know that the Board of Ed has opened up the Montrose Preschool, the Early Education Center. We run a preschool through the Baird. Are we engaging in sharing? Is there overlap of services that we can zero in on in order to reduce both of those line items? Um, likewise, we've got, um, we've got other line items on our own budget, you know, and it may be a lower percentage here, but we're looking at insurance costs. Our insurance costs are over a million dollars. Can we examine those costs carefully, ensure we haven't missed opportunities to join with a consortium of other towns to lower those premium rates? Have we looked at whether we can reduce our GL in favor of umbrella coverage, which tends to be less expensive, without losing what we really know we need, and that is solid coverage for when something goes wrong. 
we have to look at our legal services very carefully. If we're paying more than 200000 a year in legal costs, why is that? Are we engaging with sharing with neighboring communities who are similarly situated? Can we share? Can we engage in project-based billing instead of retainer and hourly billing? Can we look at auditing those legal costs and ensuring that we investigate um, when we are choosing not to sue, like we did in the case of East Orange Water? Um, we're choosing not to sue, but we're spending huge amounts of money on that investigation. Let's make sure we're making the right choices. Um, IT services, we, we had that 16800 and then we're, we've got another RFP out there. Um, the rehabilitation district, if we grant more abatements and pilots, we're not supporting our tax base. Okay. Uh, Ms. Collum, what is your view and platform in regards to financial management and budget? Sure. Um, last time I was on the program, I said one of the things I was very proud on, proud of was um, doing what I said I would do, and that was strong finan financial management and fiscal discipline. And so I'm very proud of voting on the two lowest municipal tax increases in well over 15 years. Um, we are controlling spending at roughly 0.67% increases annually, which I think is really incredible given that a lot of our fixed increases, or fixed costs rather, um, they go up much higher than 2%. Um, so we're doing the things necessary to make sure that we control the spending. And there's a few ways that we do that. First, um, you've got to make sure that you can generate new revenue for your, your municipality, whether that's through development, redevelopment, I'd like to say responsible development or redevelopment, also by aggressively pursuing and receiving grants, which in the past two years I've been on the board, we've received over two million, and looking at our efficiencies internally. And that's primarily within public safety because they are the largest costs that we have as a municipality. Out of all of our personnel costs, police and fire are roughly 70% of that budget. So efficiencies within our departments, avoiding costly overtime, um, scheduling efficiencies, that's, that's really where we see a lot of cost saving. Um, aggressively evaluating appropriate service levels while reducing our dependency on tax increases by pursuing shared services and regional uh, agreements with other municipalities is something that I think is really, really important. In the long term, I don't think that Maplewood is the only game in town. I think it's a question of who delivers it better, faster, and at the best cost to taxpayers, which put any municipality in the surrounding area, um, you know, uh, on our list of people to approach. Um, as Ms. Hines indicated, we have been doing a really good job with debt. It has been decreasing, and that, you know, to have a board that has been decreasing debt um, over the course of the past few years uh, is really important because there was a time where within a 10-year period, debt went up by, you know, well over $30 million. If you project out what's going to happen with our facilities, I think this is going to be a, a frightening time for the municipality because, and we're going to address Village Hall very shortly, but if you look at the totality of the deferred maintenance that has occurred, uh, we have a lot of big items coming online in a very short period of time. First is Village Hall, which we know just construction costs alone will be about $5.5 million. Mm -hmm. We've already seen presentations from the library board projecting that for them to do both the library and the Connect building could be $11 million. We just finished a feasibility analysis on police headquarters. Uh, it, there was one done in 2008, deferred maintenance, we're facing it again, and we need to provide our officers a good facility, $4.5 million. 
we're also doing a feasibility analysis on the Baird Center, which is uh, much bigger than Village Hall. And uh, I could estimate, I don't know exactly what that number is going to be, but I would project it at 10 plus million, which is why I am aggressively pursuing and would like to see a prioritized 10-year capital improvement plan. I think that decisions of the past have now impacted the decisions that we have to make today. And it's by being transparent with that plan, by showing uh, what these different facilities are and what we're going to need to put into them will allow us to create a roadmap of how we're going to deal with all these various issues uh, moving into the future so that we don't position the next board of trustees into the future, whether it's 20, 10, 20, or 30 years from now, to look back and say, you've left us with a lot more debt and um, expensive maintenance costs. With respect to the Board of Education, um, you know what, I have a, a great deal of respect for what they do. I think there's a total lack of coordination between the municipalities and the schools. We don't speak enough. So one of the items on the platform that I have is to establish a budget advisory committee between South Orange, Maplewood, and the Board of Education to ensure this coordination. I think that one of the prime examples was when the Board of Education, I believe it was about a year, year and a half ago, were considering an aquatic center for the high school uh, at, at the cost of close to $8 million. And the first thing I thought was, well, can we leverage the municipal pool? Can we dome the municipal pool? What does Maplewood have? How do we leverage Seton Hall University? When you have coordinated facilities planning, those are the type of conversations that you have um, in order to you know, prioritize and spend money wisely. Um, I, there's one thing that I want to respond back to that Ms. Hines had referenced um, with granting pilots. With the townwide rehabilitation, a short-term tax abatement is new money, it's new revenue, um, and it's not taking really too many services. So everything's about a balance of new revenue against um, the service cost. And so for somebody to make upgrades to their property, increase their overall assessed val um, value of that property, and share it between the municipality, the school, and the county, I think that's new revenue that would not otherwise be realized. And so I do think that we have to be competitive with our tax incentives and balance that against the overall cost of whatever the services that we're trying to build or develop or encourage somebody to invest in. Okay. Um, Ms. Hines, did you want to respond? And, and just to respond to that one, you know, we did create on, on March 9th this rehabilitation district, and it does grant additional abatement and pilot authority to our village government here. And frankly, with the 30-year tax abatements that were given to the Gateway Project right next to the, the train station and the 30-year tax abatement that was given to that project on 3rd and Valley Street, I think we've seen enough pilots and abatements here. I know that I've seen that spreadsheet where people say, oh, it transfers this money into our general coffers. They're not going to have students in our schools. At the end of the day, it increases the tax burden on the homeowners in both South Orange and Maplewood. We are not shifting that burden onto Maplewood. Instead, what we're doing is increasing the tax burden on those homeowners. That rising bathtub may be rising a little slower because we share with the town next door, but ultimately we're seeing it here. We need to take a measured approach with respect to abatements and pilots and be much, much more cautious. We have the Midtown Direct here. We got that about 15, 20 years ago. We don't need to give away our town in order to bring new business here. What we need to do is not overregulate. We need to ensure that 
we are supporting existing business and existing entrepreneurs and ensuring the historic integrity of our village and the distinct neighborhoods we have here to preserve people's property values and ensure that people want to come here. Without that historic integrity, without the beauty and the distinctive nature of South Orange, we're not going to increase the values of our homes or the property values that we have in town. Um, we have to do those things in order to ensure financial stability here. Sheena, did you want to respond? Yeah, I don't think the, if we take Third and Valley, for example, I don't think the historic integrity was a surface parking lot. I think that tax abatements make for a relatively good soundbite during an election, but the reality is, is that the um, the meat of any one of these agreements is within the developer's agreement in and of itself. Um, for any tax abatement, a developer has to show a pro forma, so it's not a question of um, whether we want to give away a tax abatement. I think municipalities like to generate revenue, and so we look for the most aggressive way to do that. It's not a question of getting more revenue or giving something away. It's um, agreeing on terms and conditions or not having anything at all. So with respect to Third and Valley, yeah, they got a tax abatement. I wasn't on the Board of Trustees. I haven't voted on a developer's agreement. So um, moving forward, I, I definitely think you have to do what's in the best interest of your community and be very aggressive in how you pursue it. But if you look at the totality of what happened with that 30-year abatement um, and the agreements that were made between the municipality and the developer, one thing that we're getting is over 200 new parking spaces for the municipality to have built those parking spaces, as Ms. Hines said. Well, and, we have and a just parking to clarify, problem. our net is only 70 new spaces. We move surface parking into structured parking, but even at 70 spaces at a cost of 25000 to 75000 depending on whether you have to acquire land or it's structured parking or it's surface parking, that's millions of dollars right there millions of dollars that we would have to otherwise put into parking. You also have to look at the payment that was given to our rescue squad who has been advocating for a new facility for quite some time, 1.1 million. You also have to look at the affordable housing that's on site and then also the payment of 400,000 off site. Um, I also think that you know they provided money for um, temporary parking facilities uh, for the people who are going to be uh, you know, not located at the surface parking for the interim, and we wanted to invest that into Jitney services. I think also you have to look at the 600000 annually that we are going to be getting um, in the form of a payment in lieu of taxes. And when for every $100,000 we spend, that's a percentage increase on municipal taxes. 600000 is a lot. So when you look at the totality of the package deal of what a developer can contribute to a municipality and within the developer's agreement, you balance that against um, the tax incentive that a municipality is offering the developer. As I've said as, at many of these coffees is that the um, cost of land in northern New Jersey is very high, which is why you see a lot of pilots happening, whether it be Maplewood or South Orange or Milburn or Montclair. Um, you have to make things competitive and you have to negotiate a strong developer's agreement to make sure that each party is getting something of benefit, the overall benefit. And when you're talking about financial management and fiscal discipline, I think it's really important that we invest, reinvest, and um, put a lot of incentives in place to make sure that we are expanding the overall tax base. Our commercial corridors represent only 10% of the income that we generate for the municipality in and of itself. And so in order to um, expand that number, we have to be very strategic and follow our vision plan, follow our smart growth plan, and make sure that we're moving in the right direction. I think the question about development now or the concerns is that for such a long period of time during the recession, a lot of activity wasn't happening.
happening. And so we've seen activity happen quickly because people are getting the financing through the Permit Extension Act. The gateway was be able was able to open, um, you know, based on prior approvals. And Third and Valley was a very protracted period of negotiation, of citizen input, of working with our development committee and our professionals. Our redevelopment council is very very good at what he does and so I think you have to really look at, at the totality of everything that's being negotiated. We're going to allow Emily to have the last word, 30 seconds. All right. And I appreciate looking at the totality of the circumstances here. You know, and I know you weren't on the board in, in 2013 when that deal got inked. 2011. Uh, excuse mm -hmm. me, 2011 when that deal got inked. You weren't on until 2013. Um, at the end of the day, we have to look at long-term projections, not short-term. And filling empty space um, without ensuring that over the long term we have been extremely cautious and fiscally responsible is critical. And under the circumstances of the Third and Valley project, it is not in keeping with the Smart Growth Plan of 2009. It is far in excess of what was proposed for that space. And yet we've done additional plan after plan after plan. Let's start with the planning here. We have plans in place. Let's follow them. And with the 100 to 180 units that were proposed there. Instead, we put in 215. We granted variances for the parking. So yeah, we're seeing a net of 70, but at the same time, we rolled back the requirements for that building, those 215 units. We need to be careful that we're looking at long-term. And over the long-term, what we've done is increase the taxes on the homeowners here by giving those 30-year abatements to that facility. You know, I question whether that was market value. So, I mean, obviously, maybe this topic could have been the whole show. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, because when you when you think about the 30-year abatements, you ask yourself the question, okay, so what were the alternatives? Exactly. And unfortunately, uh, in this short time of interviews, it's, it's, it's very difficult to go through all the nuances um, that this topic represents. But I think that at the end of the day, uh, we can all remember when uh, we had a lot of empty lots, and it's, and it's good to see that these empty lots are now now being more productive. Um, now we're going to take on a very easy topic. Uh, we're in our last third of our uh, interview. We have 20 minutes left. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Ms. Emily Hines, candidate for village president, uh, Ms. Sheena Collum, our village trustee, who's candidate for village president. The election is on May 12th. Uh, I really want to... Uh, ask everyone to really come out and vote. It, this is this is a very important election. Every election is important because these are our elected officials who are going to carry forth the vision to uh, help our community. Now we're going to take on the very easy topic of the Board of Education. Um, we understand that the Board of Education has their own budget, but it represents of the South Orange taxpayer. If I'm correct, it represents 50 percent of their uh, of, of the 57. 57 percent? Yes. So uh, we're going to begin with uh, Ms. Ms. Collum. Uh, what can we do to work with the Board of Education to try to get them to um, improve their efficiencies to keep our costs down? Uh, I thought we touched upon this a little bit in the last answer. I think so. Do yeah. you want to? I mean, my main focal point was that we create the interlocal budget advisory committee with okay. the Board of Education to make sure that we're speaking to mm -hmm. one another on mm -hmm. facilities planning, projections, students, the cost, et cetera. Um, I think you have to start with first sharing information and making sure that you have the same set of da data moving forward. Okay. And, and I agree with that approach, frankly. I think that we need a bridge with our Board of Education. They moved their elections to November. Our elections remain in May. And so you don't have the kind of communication that we would previously have had. 
um, it would be great to have increased communications. We need that. We are desperate for that. Um, I think that redundancy is another huge issue here. As we spend money on programs, uh, recreational programs, after-school programs, preschool programs, we know the Board of Education spends money on that, too. We know Maplewood spends money on that, too. Let's make sure that we are ensuring that we don't have redundancy here. We have need. If there are students that are going to go into those spots and we can fulfill those needs, great, we need to do that. But let's ensure there's not redundancy in that. Okay, very good, very good. Now let's move on to Village Hall. Um, there's a big issue in regards to whether we should sell it or maintain it. And, Emily, it is your turn, so we'll allow you to give us your views on Thank you, Darrell. Uh, village Hall, I think, is emblematic of our village. It, it would be a sell-off of the character of our village to sell that Village Hall. Um, I think that... I, there are current proposals right now for a restaurant or a boutique hotel at that site. I think it's short-sighted to um, sell off the hall, the, the village hall, that municipal building. Um, and if we do that, we're not going to ensure the preservation of that historic landmark in the long run. Um, we know that cost overruns have already occurred. You know, I, I hear we've got geothermal heat now in the building. Um, we can't rewrite history. We can't go back and make changes to what's already happened. But what we can do is finish the job. We're not going to move back. We're going to move back in so that we have a completed project, so that we stop paying rent at other facilities like the PNC building, and so that we're not giving up one of our most valuable parking assets. Um, do we really want more characterless buildings in our town? This is a key emblematic feature here, and its preservation has an economic impact. Having that kind of historic character in our village ensures that our village retains its historic distinctive character, that walkability, that village feel. And the sale of that historic structure does not guarantee its safety. Only we can do that. Um, would I sell the village hall if the town were going bankrupt? Of course I would. I wouldn't sacrifice our town for that purpose. But at the same time, I think that we need to take every step we can to ensure that the project that we've already started gets completed. I would question whether we would have to return grant money that we received from the New Jersey, New Jersey Historic Trust if we did sell that property. It is a heart of our village, and we need to do our very best to preserve it. Ms. Collin? Well, I, I definitely think this is one issue where Ms. Hines and I will have disagreement. Um, shortly after getting on the Board of Trustees and looking at the various projections of the buildings and the facilities, uh, Village Hall was at the top of the list because the deferred maintenance had the Board of Trustees probably in the early 1990s dropped a million dollars into the building and got it on a maintenance program. Uh, we wouldn't be in this situation right now. So the board, prior to me being um, elected in 2013, did an adaptive reuse study to see if there were public-private partnerships that would preserve the building, um, but also um, help save the village some money in cost. And uh, that failed. It failed miserably. Uh, I think that it was a bad time for the economy. The financing wasn't there. You weren't seeing a lot of permits being pulled anywhere throughout the state of New Jersey. And when I got onto the board, you know, I said to myself, are there opportunities for us to keep the building, maintain the building. There is a restriction that anything um, would have to be 
consistent with uh, national state standards for, uh, you know, the laws regulating the exterior of the building. So it will be preserved regardless of what the use is going to be. Um, but the bigger question was, is there somebody else who could do it better than us? And we did put out an RFP that basically laid out all the deed restrictions for the building, and we did get two proposals. And I was excited to see two proposals. Now, can I guarantee either one of those proposals will be selected? No, but as village president, I think it's really important that you give your board options and choices and how those choices compare to one another. So you have the cost side, and then you have the land use side. As a connector building between the west side of South Orange Avenue and the east side, what's something that connects uh, you know, a very successful area of our town um, and moving east uh, for retail, dining, shopping, etc. So you have a land use decision, you have a historic question, and then you also have the um, cost associated with it. As I stated earlier in the show, we have so many different buildings that we're going to have to invest a lot of money into. So we have to be very strategic about the prioritization because if we were to do everything that we're going to need to do, we would double our debt in a matter of 15 to 20 years, and I don't think that's something or direction we need to move in. My overall philosophy on government is a little bit, um, I, I would say it, it's that municipalities, big government isn't always necessary, um, it's smart government. And if we're able to consolidate some of our municipal services, still be able to provide quality municipal services and do it at a lower cost and also reduce our overall footprint and invest that savings into public utility buildings like the libraries, um, the Baird Center, things that people utilize very frequently, I would prefer that we move in that direction. I think the important question right now is the long-term strategic thinking, because if we're not in Village Hall and we choose to, the financials work out for an alternative adaptive reuse, um, what are we going to do with our actual municipal operations? Do we combine municipal operations with that of the library, of the Baird? Do we relocate our offices there? These are all very, very important important questions, which is why in my actual platform, the 10-year capital improvement plan is so critical, um, so that we're all on the same page and we know where the money needs to be invested. And I agree that absolutely it is the historic icon of this village, um, and it's where I had disagreement with people who were advocating that we uh, put money back into it, is that I believe the building and facility itself is historic. The use is not what makes the building historic. It is the actual exterior, it's the foundation. And being able to preserve that, but perhaps think a little strategically on other ways that it can be used while saving money and allowing us to move forward with a prioritized plan for all of our facilities is probably the smarter decision. I'm not committing to what I would choose right now because we're still doing projections, but I do like that we have options to choose from. I would just add, uh, just uh, as the interviewee and, and staying uh, in the middle of the subject, I just, I'm just i from Atlantic City, New Jersey, and I just remember several historical landmarks uh, being uh, uh, dynamited and bulldozed to make way for the casinos. And I think if Atlantic City had to choose it all over again, uh, they would not have uh, raised those buildings and, and tried to maintain the integrity. So I, I'm looking forward to... Uh, seeing what happens with our village hall. It is an icon building, and, and we hope that uh, it will be maintained. Darrell, before you continue, I just want to add that raising the building is not on the table at all. Nobody, nobody has ever suggested that, so I understand the example, but just for your listeners, I want to make sure that they know there is not any proposal to knock the building down. Okay, very yes. good, very good, very good. Um, also, the, the Marylawn site, mm -hmm. um, what is happening with the Marylawn site? 
in regards to um, uh, the redevelopment of that. Okay, so the Marylawn site. Oh, you threw us one that wasn't in here, and yeah, I'm happy to answer figured, it. You know. Shortly after, okay. I, I believe very strongly in community planning and neighborhood planning and involving stakeholders. Shortly after the deal didn't work out with Seton Hall University for their proposal for a graduate medical school, um, I created a working group to involve both the West Montrose neighborhood and also the Montrose Park Historic District. We were looking at um, different uses for the site that would be appropriate, and we had our village planner come back with options to be able to show all the stakeholders um, the different forms, layouts, et cetera, for the property itself. Um, before we got to any recommendations, uh, we recently learned that a school board from a neighboring town is interested in turning it into their gifted and talented program. Um, for a lot of residents there, it's a conforming use. It's a school. It's already there. Um, what's interesting about this school is that they would bus their gifted and talented students in, and so it would be a very uh, low, intense use of parking and traffic since they'll be coming at once and leaving at once, so you don't have a lot of parents dropping off kids. And I think that um, for the most part, if we're able to get a conforming use that's already there, that's already approved, and doesn't have to go through a series of what we've seen so far, which is uh, requests for variances, um, advertising non-conforming uses on a property, which I find um, really unfortunate. Uh, if we get the owners of the property to a place they want to be, and we get to a, a place where the neighborhood is content with a use that is within character of their blocks, then I think that's a great way that we can move forward. Emily, um, sorry to throw that topic in, but it just dawned on me. I'm here on Seton Hall's campus, and um, Seton Hall was disappointed that it didn't work sure. out. But that is a particular uh, beautiful property. That, uh, it is. Uh, it is a beautiful property. Um, I think that it is important to consider the owners of that property. I understand that the nuns were suing the village. Um, obviously, I don't sit in on those executive sessions that we have, and, and we have a lot of them. Um, so there isn't a whole lot of transparency about the decision-making there. I understand there's privilege here with our village government in a lawsuit situation. But it does put me at a little bit of a disadvantage in that I'm not able to tell you where the negotiations are. I do know that at the last Board of Trustee meeting, there was some issue raised that the owners of that property have not come to the table with the town. How do we reach out and engage with them about what the appropriate use for that space is? It's a beautiful historic building. I hear from some people that it is worth saving. I have heard from others that it is overrun with vermin. I don't know the real story on that, but we would certainly need to ensure that if we try and do something that that facility with that building and that property, that we have the owners of that property at the table with us to have those discussions as we go forward. We can't make that decision on our own. We are village government. Our job is not to be in the business of development. It's the, our job is to be in the, the, the business of governance. And so as a result, we need to bring that property owner at, to the table and have a conversation with them about what the best use for that property is and what they would like to do with it, um, as well as the surrounding community. You know, that may very well be what stalled Seton Hall's initial approach onto that property. You know, there were a lot of factors going in, but if the community says, hey, wait a minute, we don't want you, that is certainly a deterrent to any developer that wants to come into a piece of property. All the stakeholders at the table in a transparent process. Believe it or not, we are almost at the end of our talk. So I'm going to ask for this last question uh, that we use about 30, 30 seconds uh, each. So on Seton Hall University and South Orange relations, um, I guess, you know, <laughs> 
the, the topic of Mary Law kind of touched on that. But, um, Sheena, real quickly, mm -hmm. um, what are the three things that uh, we can do as community collectively to improve the relations between Seton Hall University and South Orange? The three. Well, I think there's about a hundred. Um, so I was I was a student at Seton Hall. I worked on a lot of town and gown initiatives. I think that one thing I would love to be able to see is a joint transportation system. I think right now they're independently operating a shuttle, a shuttle that I helped bring to campus when I was a student here. And I think that we have Jitney services. We also have needs for our senior citizens who want better circulation. Um, and I think by looking between Seton Hall, the community, and the needs, um, to be able to share a resource like transportation is very important. I also support the idea of a one community card to be able to allow residents to come on campus with ease of access but yet regulated so you know who's coming on and off campus because there's incredible programming and culture and excitement on this campus and a lot of residents don't know that they can take advantage of it so I think the advertising and marketing of what's available to bring people on the campus and then lastly continuing the partnership not just from the administrative level I mean I've helped secure a lot of investment from the university into our police department and technology and that's one aspect but my greatest enjoyment has been working with the students and the student government um, when I was sworn into office as the uh, Student Government Association president here, I looked out into the audience and I didn't see anybody from the town. And um, I know how much that would have meant for me. And now seeing the student government be able to look out and see department heads and elected officials and people who are supporting their growth and their volunteerism in our community, I think has uh, provided tremendous value to all of us from the level of activism and student engagement on things of joint interest between South Orange and the university. That was three, but the last one is I would support a public safety fee on um, people living on campus. I think because of the tax exempt na nature of the property, we have our largest landowner being tax exempt. And I understand that, I respect that, that's the way that the laws are regulated regarding this type of use on this land. But ultimately, um, increases in student enrollment um, put a burden on our police department and I think that that's where we have a joint interest is in public safety and a $25 surcharge assessment for each of the students would help us really invest in police fire and rescue. And I think that the great thing about this election is that if people vote for me, they do get to keep Sheena and her relationship with Seton Hall um, because you do work hard. And I think that you're doing a great job with Seton Hall because you went here, you have a special relationship with this community. You know, I went to St. John's there in Queens. I love my alma mater, and I know other people do as well. And, you know, I think that that's great. It's an important resource. Volunteerism is something you touched on. And I think that, you know, that goes back to my intangible financial assets. Skilled volunteers. It's one of those things that universities bring to communities. Mm -hmm. They bring skilled volunteers. They bring art. They bring culture and theater and resources to communities. Having a partnership between Seton Hall and South Orange in order for both sides of that partnership to take advantage of those elements is key. And it does trouble me. I have never before seen a community so distanced from the university that makes its home here, you know, except for maybe Yale and New Haven. Um, it, it is really troubling, and we need to ensure that the stakeholders on both sides of that line come together. You know, we have zoning issues here. We know that there were issues when the baseball lights, I think they were, went up, and the surrounding neighborhoods that felt they were being flooded, they felt they were left out of the process. Both sides of that 
uh, line need to come together as stakeholders in decisions that are made. And when both sides get together, then we'll be able to have a partnership that incorporates Seton Hall better into the life of our community. Their community members here, their students can vote here. You know, they are members and citizens of our, of our, of our village, and we want them to feel welcome, but we don't want them we don't want local community members to feel like they are being stepped on as a result. Both sides have to come to the table. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. 60 Minutes of Ms. Sheena Collum and Ms. Emily Hines. Uh, I want to thank you both for coming on this program. Uh, keep in mind that next Saturday we're going to be live. And um, it's going to be 30 minutes of the candidates being able to share um, their thoughts about the election that's coming up on May 12th, Tuesday, May 12th. So I, I want to thank you both for coming on the program. Thank you very much, Darrell. Thank you. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for this weekend of leadership. Uh, again, I want to thank my guests, uh, Ms. Sheena Collin, Ms. Emily Hines. And remember, leadership begins with you. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM. Have a great weekend.